Our vision is to increase the literacy connected to digital assets among students at SSC and ultimately in Sweden. On this episode, we're moving away from the traditional podcast and moving into Artex Tech. It was a one week filled with lunch lectures on the future of art in connection to blockchain technologies. The week's grand finale, which is what you're listening to now, was held at Stockholm's Fotografiska, where we had a panel discussion on NFTs in connection to art. Hope you enjoy. Thanks again to Stockholm's Fotografiska for letting us use their amazing location to host the event, as well as Bankless.se for sponsoring. You're plugging in to the Digital Assets Podcast. Every once in a while, a new technology comes around that makes us question the status quo and changes everything that we take for granted. In the 90s, it was the internet, Web 1. For the first time, we could read and access vast amount of information, just a Google search away. In the 2000s, it was Web 2, where we could not only read, but write and interact with each other on websites. We've gathered here today at Fotografiska in the heart of Stockholm because once again we face a new technological shift. But this time we won't only be able to read and write but also own digital ownership. My name is Albin and this is Edith. Um, And I'm the project leader for Artex Tech, the Future of Art, an initiative by the Student Association at the Stockholm School of Economics, together with Bankless, our sponsor, and um, and our amazing collaboration with Digital Asset Society. We want to shed light on this new digital era, Web3, and in specific, NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So with that said, um, I would like to welcome you all to join in uh, an applaud for our amazing host for tonight, Eric, and our amazing, amazing, amazing panel. Welcome. Thank you for the great introduction, Albin. So given that we're having this panel discussion at Fotografiska, I thought we'd start with some food for thought. Walter Benjamin. He was a famous philosopher, writer, and art critic. And he wrote a a prestige and acclaimed paper called The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction. That year was 1935. In the essay, Walter feared that the digital reproduction of art that came with photography and film would ruin the natural aura of art. As such, he had a disdained taste for photography and film. But 87 years later, we sit here and we're talking about the key to Walter's next movement. And that brings us to the digital medium that we're speaking about today, more precisely about NFTs. So let's have our guests introduce each other. Leo, do you want to start? Yes. My name is Leo. I'm CEO and co-founder of NFT Nord, which is a Nordic initiative to educate and onboard the Nordics onto the NFT revolution. Kirsten, thank you. Hi, my name is Kirsten Hinder, and I am co-founder of Infinity Mark, and we are bridging the analog and digital art worlds with NFT and blockchain technologies. Hi, my name is Andreas Wannerstedt. I'm a 3D artist. I'm the guy who created the pieces on the screens here. 
Looks good, looks good. Yeah, and I'm currently looking into NFTs. Hello, uh, my name is Eric Wall. Uh, I'm a computer scientist and cryptocurrency hedge fund manager um, for a company called Arcane. Hi everyone, I'm Nicholas. I'm part of Bankless DAO, we're a global movement. We're trying to onboard people to crypto by uh, spreading culture and knowledge and awareness. And I'm co-founding the Swedish branch of uh, Bankless DAO called Bankless.se. Awesome. We're happy to be here. So uh, let's get started with a bit of a one-on-one -on -one. then. Uh, Leo, would you like to kind of get us in? What is an NFT? What is it all about? Yes, so an NFT is a digital certificate of ownership stored on a blockchain, which means it's available for the entire world to see. Kind of like a certificate of ownership you would get when you buy a house, except everyone <laughs> in the entire world knows that this particular NFT belongs to you. Mm -hmm. And an NFT can be connected both to digital assets, like the art pieces you see on the screen, piece of music, but also physical assets. We'll speak more about that later. Awesome. So given this kind of tie to the physical world and the digital world, would uh, the artist perhaps like to speak a little bit about this and how you kind of gone into this, this space? The whole NFT? Exactly, yeah. Maybe speak a little bit about your background and how yeah. you kind of moved from. Sure, yeah. I, I've been doing animations all my life and mm. created digital art. Uh, but there wasn't really any good you know, way to make a living out of it. So um, I've been working as an animator, a freelancer, um, an art director, you know, creating commercial um, and um, uh, yeah, that, that kind of things for my like entire life pretty much. Uh, so I did this type of animations uh, and posted them on my Instagram account mm -hmm. for several, several years to promote myself as an freelancer and you know to attract brands uh, so that was my way to build a community and to, to you know get my name out there um, and um, then the NFT uh, you know hype came right before that thanks to my Instagram uh, following which is quite big I did receive some emails from um, uh, like very big auction houses in the NFT industry uh, but I didn't know anything about the NFTs uh, at that point, so I was a bit skeptical. Mm -hmm. But then I, uh, then I, um, I saw some other very talented 3D artists on Instagram who was uh, joining this uh, NFT hype. So mm -hmm. I decided to give it a go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've been stuck ever since. This was like October 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Um, yeah, and I didn't know anything about cryptocurrencies or NFTs or yeah, yeah, that technology back then. How does it feel coming from the artistic background to now incorporate this technology? You know, it feels it feels great actually because now I can finally you know do what I what I love to do. You know, instead of doing this to attract brands, I can do these type of art projects, because this is what keeps me inspired and what mm -hmm. keeps me curious, because um, I really like the craft. So um, this technology has given me and other creators like myself a chance to, to really make a living out of uh, doing what we love. Yeah. 
That's great to hear. And then, Kirsten, you're coming from a bit of the other perspective on that end with your traditional background. Maybe you can yeah. speak a little bit towards that and what brought you into the technical aspects of NFT. Yeah. So my background is curatorial, and I've worked with art advisory and as a gallerist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen, and I've also I worked as a photographer for ten years as well. So I've really seen a frustration from the analog artist's perspective to sort of know how their practice can evolve in new ways without having to give up what they love to do. Yeah. And when the NFT craze came, I had so many conversations with artists who uh, just seemed frustrated by the fact that they could see there was so much opportunity to be had, but they didn't really know how they could apply it to their own practice. And I think there's a big misconception of NFTs being particular to digital art, uh, whereas NFT is just one technology that can be applied to creating art, but it can also be applied to protecting uh, the authorship and ownership of art mm. and provenance. So I think um, my passion is really to just find ways to put those tools in the hands of the traditional art world, mm -hmm. if it's artists or gallerists who need help to get over the threshold and to be able to empower them to, to navigate the new technologies and find ways of making it applicable to their practice without having to reinvent themselves. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with an artist one day who said, you know, I used to be a programmer and then I became an artist because I wanted to make art and does this mean I have to become a programmer again to make NFTs? And I said, no, no, no. You can just do your art, and then we can help you find ways of securing it and validating it so that when it goes out into the market, into the wild, that your authorship is protected and your collectors know what it is they've invested in, mm -hmm. and they can feel secure in collecting your art. So, um, yeah. It's a bit about my yeah. perspective. Super interesting. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ball it back to you, Andreas. On how, what have, what has your experience been on coming from this artistic background and wanting to be free and wanting to create, but then also having to work with these uh, awesome but large companies and kind of being boxed into that kind of creativity. Um, and how has like NFTs kind of let you escape from that, maybe? Yeah, I think the the problem with um, working with brands, I, you know, it's that's fun and it's you know that's where the money were. Um, the, that you're always a bit, um, you know, bound. You know, you don't have the creative freedom that that you want as an artist, um, which I guess uh, is something you learn to live with uh, since it's, it's a it's a job. But on my spare time, I did all these projects just because I, you know, I, I love the craft, and and. Um, yeah, I guess it, 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 it all comes back to me as an artist that I'm able to do what I what I want to do for a living, and and you know I don't need the brands um, or um, you know any anything else really, since the the NFT technology gives creators all the tools they need to sell their art by themselves. They can be their own businessman. Uh, they can you know build their own communities. They can you know, uh, use all these tools out there that are available now for free um, without the need of a middleman. Um, yeah, so a lot of new doors have opened for, um, for creators. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll jump to the next question kind of about 
transparency in how this new NFT tied to the blockchain creates uh, a completely new and transparent ecosystem for, for artists and, and for buyers and sellers. And how, how do you guys see that affecting the art world? Um, um, well, I, I think that's like the that's one of the the beauty the beauty with NFTs is that is everything is transparent and it's easy to access. Um, so you don't really need like a gallery or a curator or a um, art dealer if you don't uh, if you don't want one. I don't think it's it's the right way to go, but. Um, now, since everything is transparent, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, well, there's a lot of, a lot of good benefits with it. I mean, authenticity for the, for the first is, and scarcity. Like, you can't uh, fake artworks in, in a way anymore, because um, you can easily look up uh, the certificate, who's the owner, which I guess was a bit of a problem in the traditional art world. Um, yeah. If I could elaborate on that. So one thing that NFT does is that in the, in the traditional physical world, when somebody has property or ownership of something, it usually blocks people out from partaking in that. Whereas with NFTs, if somebody retweets or likes or remixes what you've created, it's actually just positive for the creator of that NFT because you know that's original. So you could think of it kind of as, if you see a fake Louis Vuitton bag that doesn't make Louis Vuitton less valuable, actually makes the brand recognition more. So as long as you know that there's an original, it keeps the integrity. So in that sense, NFTs allow things to travel more freely on the internet. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know, talk about right-click and save. Uh, yeah. the whole part of the NFT culture. But uh, as you say, there's, uh, you know, there's exactly the same thing with, you know, me having a Picasso print. It doesn't mean I owe Picasso. Mm. You know, it's just easier maybe, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's human behavior and it's, it's not really an uh, NFT problem, I don't think. I think it also is a nice thing that connects the breadcrumb trail. So the transparency allows people to understand in terms of provenance and the migration of a work throughout its lifetime. Whereas before this happened more in a vacuum, you know, it goes sold and then it's very difficult to know what happened to it. And I think a lot of artists in the traditional art world have felt very disconnected from their works in the long run because it gets sold perhaps at a gallery and then they never see or hear of it again. Whereas yeah. I think having the possibility to also send information within the NFT, which can really host additional information that complements the artwork or something conceptual that the artist was working with or something they wrote at the time that they created the work, to be able to capture that and send that and not have that just become lost in translation mm -hmm. when a work leaves an atelier and then ends up on the other side of the world uh, with a collector. There's just no thread there, but I think the possibility for that story to be told along the way, I think adds so much value uh, to the work and is really the respectful thing to do towards artists and their creations is to allow for that and really create a, a space for that. Legacy comes alive. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. How, how I guess do you, do you see the space of physical artwork and digital artwork kind of mending or, or meshing in the future, or do you kind of see them still as two separate subsets that set, subsets that are kind of always going to clash with each other? So glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, I think there's a fantastic blurring of the digital and the physical space at the moment, which is super exciting, mm. and I think uh, we don't need to compartmentalize them. I think. There is, instead of thinking that somehow the analog art world is going to just come to an end and the continuum is going to be all digital, I think we're going to see so much back and forth between the two going forward because both spaces have things to learn from the other. And we see really great examples today of analog artists dabbling in the digital art world and the opposite as well, digital artists who are starting to create physical works. And so I think that dialogue will just continue and just be all the richer. I think it's fantastic to see the two sort of intermingling and, and entering this dance together. So I, I'm hopeful that that's going to be a great and exciting future for both. Curious. Yeah. Have you ever thought about entering the, the physical realm at all? <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm actually working on my first digital piece now. It's a, it's an NFT that comes with the digital version, mm -hmm. and it ships with the with the actual physical sculpture as well. So, I'm very excited about uh, combining the two two mediums and um, you know exploring new ways to express myself. So, yeah, definitely. Very cool. I guess we can kind of transition now to what makes this good for, for the creator economy in general, and why would an artist want to do this? Why does it make it sustainable both for, for the artist, for the auction house, for uh, the buyers and sellers? And, and maybe if any of you guys have some inputs on, on that topic. Yeah, I guess one thing that I think uh, attracts a lot of um, digital creators is the fact that uh, you get a royalty and all uh, Secondhand sales, which uh, is, you know, quite, um, is quite a big deal if you're selling a lot of uh, digital pieces, you know, to be able to ma maybe make a living on uh, on just resales. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one of the the biggest benefits I think that comes with the with the blockchain technology, and you're able to keep track of all the data. Yeah, as you said, Kirsten, as well, like the legacy of an art piece, I think that's very valuable because you see the original intention, you preserve the original intention, mm. which previously maybe wasn't as obvious. Mm. Uh, I found an old jacket in my basement once uh, with my, my granddad left, uh, and I never met him uh, before he died, and it had this uh, like oil patch on it. And I was like, Mom, whose jacket is this? And it's your granddad. Oh, wow, I never met this, this guy. And he was a car mechanic. Mm -hmm. And it just became this symbol. And I carry it all the time. And it's a, it's a perfect example of like the NFT power of just you know, remembering the intention of something and seeing the ownership history and knowing that that history is immutable. And then as that NFT goes on to different people, that person can know that this was created with an intention, which is being continued. And I think that's, that's almost more interesting than the artwork itself. It's like the perpetuation of that intention that continues when people switch ownership. Yeah. Uh, that sparks my imagination. Yeah. I think also for creators, there are just so many new models uh, of being able to sustain their practices. So 
for artists in the analog art world, you know, they create one unique piece which can take several months to create. And when that is sold, especially for emerging artists who often sell those pieces at quite a low price because they're just getting started, you know, they don't benefit from that selling 10 years down the line on auction in Hong Kong. You know, they, they never see the royalty for that, but also just the fact that they now have the possibility to potentially create digital representations if they want to of that original, unique physical piece. And institutions have the possibility to work with fractional ownership of pieces in their collections in order to fund themselves and in order to be able to afford to upkeep their collections and work with other institutions around the world without having such a strong carbon footprint by exhibiting works that have to be shipped all around the world. There are so many possibilities for new models of both financing things and primarily just sustaining artists who, you know, it's a myth that artists want to be starving, right? Like artists have a job that they want to do and they want to be able to live off of their craft full-time, just like the rest of us want to live off of what we're doing. So to be able to enable that and give them new possibilities for that, I think is super important. I guess that then like rolls on to what, what actually gives the value to the NFT. Is it, is it the nostalgia of that jacket? Is it the, the team behind it? Is it um, What do you guys see as the, the, the prominent theme for, for something that has sustained value? I think it, it's, it's a combination of the storytelling possibilities uh, because that adds an extra layer of value to the piece but also the potential to validate the authenticity of pieces and to secure that so that that information can't be tampered with you know uh, I don't know there's a lot of galleries uh, today brick and mortar galleries who don't provide customers with anything other than like an email confirming that they just bought a piece for half a million. Like, I don't understand it. I, you wouldn't buy a car without a user's manual or a secondhand car without knowing that it had been serviced, right? So like to spend half a million on a painting or a sculpture without knowing anything about it. And then if you someday decide to part with it and sell it, you don't have anything to show what it is you have except the piece, and the piece is important, but you don't know what the piece is without some kind of record of um, the provenance. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's uh, an obvious value to me that we've sort of neglected in the physical art world for some time, but it's nice to get a bit of a kick in the pants from, from the, the new technologies to like remind us that, oh yeah, that was actually kind of an important thing that we left at the wayside uh, sometime and just forgot how important that was to keep intact. Interesting. Uh, maybe, maybe Eric, do you have any takes here coming from the hedge fund and investment background on what actually gives value to, to an NFT? If you have any insights. Uh, to be honest, uh, when the NFT trend sort of kick-started, I wouldn't say that I was the first one to understand. Like, if if I if I would have gotten it early uh, on enough, then I would have been buying CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, and I would be a fucking billionaire right now. But I, I didn't do that. So uh, I've been analyzing from the sidelines, like, what are the things that make specific NFTs uh, become valuable and attain uh, retain that value, and. From my perspective, what it really comes down to is it's basically like internet memes. Which ones, um, which memes have um, the effect of 
spreading easily and which one have a staying effect. And with, with the CryptoPunks, the, the, the first one that was, became popular on, on Ethereum, I think that the reason that that became popular was that everyone started to talk about NFTs and CryptoPunks were sort of the first NFT. And if you owned one of those, it showed that you had a long track record of understanding this trend very early on. Um, with, the, with, the, with the Bored Apes, um, I think that was probably the, one of the first ones that were like forcibly memed into uh, success where you would you would actually fake it a bit until you made it, so you would get uh, like famous people to display that they had now bought an ape. So you would get uh, uh, you would get like Paris Hilton and Jamie Fallon to to uh, show that they own these NFTs, and it creates like an exclusive club. So right now, I think a lot of the NFT hype has been about people wanting to demonstrate that they have been early uh, early on identifying NFTs as a concept by and then buying the, the, some of the first NFTs. So right now it's more about, like I, I want to bring up this word uh, called like digital bragging rights. We've, we've talked a lot, lot here about like ownership and that ownership is the, the, displaying ownership is the important thing. But I think ownership has a lot of uh, associations with like, if I own the thing, does that mean I can't stop other people from displaying it? Like, can I stop other people from right click saving it? No, you can't, right? So what is the thing that you're actually owning? And I think, when I first heard the word, like describing NFT as a digital bragging right, I thought that it was kind of a condescending term, like, oh, it's, it's just like digital bragging rights. But if you think more about that word, like, yeah, it's a digital bragging right, and you think about what are status symbols in society, most of the time, really what they are, like the reason that you want a Picasso, a real Picasso painting versus just a, a, a printed one is because you want the bragging right. Like bragging rights are actually kind of important. Um, so I don't think that we should uh, think less of something that is a digital bragging right. I think it's something very humane that, that you want to be able to show, yes, I was early on and I bought this thing from the artist himself. I paid a lot of money to show my support for this artist. And what you get is the bragging right. You get The NFT is, is nothing. It's just a token that you can store in a cryptocurrency wallet. Uh, but it isn't more than that. It, you don't actually own the right to display the picture somewhere. You don't own... Uh, with some NFTs, you can own something. Uh, like you can, if you're the creator of an NFT, you can own each time the, the NFT changes hands, you can own 5% or like 20% of, of uh, the value uh, in that transaction. So you get a form of a synthetic royalty. Um, so yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that, this, is, this is great because how, how do you, then do you see the utility mechanism of, of NFTs? You have a lot of these ambiguous roadmaps that we're seeing now with like, huge games and 3D animations and et cetera, et cetera, that's going to be launched in the future. And a lot of these are obviously going to be unsustainable, but do you see what utility mechanisms do you see that could actually be sustainable within the future, yeah, uh, so if, if, we, if, if any? If, if we can talk about things in the future, then the potential is massive. Yeah. Like any to any, every facet of human interaction can become tokenized th through an NFT. And just to take some like real-world examples of NFTs that I see that are valuable right now is, uh, for instance, let's say that there's an exclusive Discord channel, and in this channel you are discussing, like maybe you're discussing something specific, like you're discussing art in this channel. To get access to that specific club, it can require that you own a specific NFT. So you sign a message and then you get access into the, to the Discord channel. But that's just like one example. It can be 
like if, if we're thinking wildly about what it could be, uh, let's say that I'm a gamer, for example, and uh, there, I have millions of fans all over the world, but really the only thing that I can do with my, with my gaming talent is I can go out and win, win challenges when I'm, when I'm playing the game and I can win the prizes. But how do I monetize my audience in a way that it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to sell them objects, like I don't have to sell them t-shirts, I don't have to sell them, I don't have to come and speak at their events. Well, you can take like small parts of your fame, like for instance, if you want to give people exclusive access to following you on your close friends list on Instagram, every slot on your fr close friends list, you can create artificial scarcity and say, I'm only going to allow like my hundred top fans to follow me in this, uh, uh, on the uh, close friends list, and then you sell those slots and you have to demonstrate that you own a specific NFT that you launch. And what that creates, the really interesting thing I think about what this creates is it's not like the Web2 model of OnlyFans where in OnlyFans you pay a subscription, subscription fee and you get exclusive content. What this is, like the, the membership itself is tradable. So if you identify someone that you think has a lot of talent early on, if that person then becomes sex successful, you can sell that access to someone else for more money. So when you identify someone having a lot of talent, um, you're basically a talent scout. And if you identify someone early on, then you can sell that the ability that you had to identify a person's talent early on, you sell that access to someone else and you can become rich. And then you also have an incentive to, to contribute to that person's success. So if you invest in someone early on and, you and you're, for example, you're, you're a photographer or something, then you can say to that person that you bought an NFT from them and say, do you want to get like professional headshots? Uh, or do you want to do you want to get fo featured in Vogue? Like I, I know somebody at Vogue that would love to write an article about you. Um, and so so you're not only a fan, and you're not only collecting someone's. You're not only just buying for the access to the content. You also buy the ability to resell various portions mm -hmm. of of that access to other people. So you're an investor. You're an you're a talent scout. You're not just a collector. And that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's to me like from the DAO perspective. Building a community, because that's kind of what you're describing, right? You have a, an artist and, and by selling NFTs, and that's uh, one of the magical things that we've come up with programmable also ownership. Like we can put all these other imbued stuff into it, like you were saying, with uh, mm -hmm. like gating to different communities, and it could be royalties and whatever. And all of a sudden, the whole community kind of co creates together. Mm. So we merge the artist with the community. And that's very much what, what we're doing like at Bankless. We have another kind of creator that's like we're, we're spreading uh, a message, but we're coming together as a community. The creator merged with it, and we're all incentivized to work to bring more value into the community, right? And that could start from like one central person creating a community around him or herself or we could see uh, what we're envisioning being a lot of the future of art as well, that communities come together and co-create and build brands from the bottom up. And it could be art, or it could be an idea, or it could be an idea that you want to express through art. And together, like people join, and when people join, more value is created. And all of a sudden, say if it's NFTs, you sell NFTs, the community gets money. And the internet native way of coordinating this is through DAOs. Mm. And that's what we are exploring right now, what we think of as the 
community economy, which is the bleeding edge of, of this, where we collectively earn money for the organization that we're working with. We have a structure to um, decide how we spend that money based on the tokens that we own. And by contributing, you get tokens. Yes. Or that could be NFT-based as well. could base it all around um, NFTs that also then, on top of being art, also represents voting right, for example, within a DAO. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. Like Our societies starting to... Uh, it's like a renaissance for the Swedish Forening. <laughs> Everyone starts making these whatever you want to do, like you were talking about before with uh, Julian Assange there. We want to help you, Julian Assange, whatever you think about what, like him or what he's done. But they raised a lot of money very shortly for a cause because the community came together and, uh, and wanted to achieve something. Mm -hmm. And I think artists are going to start working that way as well. And in, in order to not make that too, co too confusing for people, we're talking about Assange DAO and like DAO tokens, uh, because we're sort of blurring the concepts now between fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens. Sure. Yeah. In a DAO, most people that are aware of DAOs, like um, there's tons of applications in decentralized finance on Ethereum that have fungible tokens, and if you buy some of those tokens, you can vote on different proposals in the DAO, like how should we develop this application yeah. in the future. But one thing that I've noticed, like when I, when I, I recently joined a specific uh, DAO called Irene DAO. I don't know if you know about this. There's a, within the cryptocurrency community, there's a, 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 a Chinese influencer, a woman. He has, she has like 400,000 followers on Instagram, but she has become very large and popular within uh, the cryptocurrency community as a beautiful woman, and she has a lot of followers, and people just you know are fans of her because she takes beautiful pictures of, her, of herself. But one thing that I noticed was that she has, so she has a collection of NFTs. That are that give you access to her Discord channel, but and these NFTs you can use them in the exact same way that you use them uh, as you use uh, the ERC20 tokens on Ethereum when you vote on different governance proposals. So if you have three of Irene's NFTs, you can vote on. So so they, when Irene created her um, when she created her DAO, uh, there were people within the DAO that were shaping the constitution. They, they were writing the constitution, the constitution document that would describe the different roles within the DAO, and just in the same ways that you can use snapshot for decentralized application on Ethereum to vote on different governance proposals, you can do the exact same type of voting, like it's built into the snapshot functionality itself. So a, a, an, an, an NFT can be a voting right. So you can vote within a DAO. So this yeah. is, I'm trying to explain how NFTs tie into uh, to the decentralized yeah, so autonomous yeah. organizations in Ethereum, that the NFTs themselves can belong to a larger set. So you'll have Assange NFTs, for instance. You'll, yeah. you'll have, you'll, you'll have um, uh, Irene NFTs, and those are voting rights. Um, so, so, and, and then you can, with the, these voting rights, you can vote on a constitution that decides. So, so w with Assange, for instance, or Irene, when people trade these NFTs that give them access to a Discord channel or they give them uh, r the right to vote on uh, governance proposals, each time that these NFTs trade, like so somebody buys uh, one, uh, one of those NFTs for, let's say, $1,000, then uh, 5%, so $50 <coughs> in this case, goes into a treasury. And then it means that for, for all these NFTs, there's there's a specific wallet that gets more money all the time yeah. as these tokens are being traded. Exactly. And then what you do with the constitution in this structure is that you decide how do we, what do we do with this 
bag of money that's scrolling. Yeah. So this is basically like the treasury for a company. Uh, who is supposed to have the right of deciding which initiatives do we fund? So you, you, can, you can put a CEO or a COO, and you can put a board that has the right to elect the CEO or, or uh, remove the CEO. So you, you can basically create a governance like corporate structure for this specific cause, where the NFTs are just the cert certificate that gets you. It's basically like a st buying stocks in a, in a company. It gives you access to vote on things and being a participant in that. So we're, what basically NFTs can be, what you're trying to say, I think, is they can be building pieces to create uh, virtual companies, and you can spin them up like that. And anyone can join from all over the world into the same company without having to sign any specific uh, legal documents with each other. Yeah, sure. I think, yeah, this really goes at the heart of why I think NFTs are so exciting because my little sister is making these like earrings. She could easily start making NFTs and all of a sudden she's up for business. Yeah. And if she gets discovered, as you said, everybody here could be a talent scout. So immediately from nothing, you could just start a, a brand essentially and uh, get that off the ground. And I think that just excites me. Like, I think that NFTs really asks us that question, like, what do we want to create? Because we are creators. I guess writing on the, the bleeding edge technology are the artists mm. and, and the, the, the Sotheby's and the auction houses. So how do you guys think the, the artists and the auction houses are going to adapt to this deep bleeding edge knowledge 10 years forward, five years forward? Are, are they going to have to kind of uh, tweak their creativity to be able to sustain the hype that these roadmaps are promising? And how do you feel about sustaining that hype rather than just focusing on creation? Well, I think when it comes to like these uh, NFT PFP projects, they're very popular right now in the NFT scene. Uh, I think it's all about community the, that is behind the art. So the focus isn't really on the art with these types of projects. Uh, so for me as an artist, I try to stay away from all those types of uh, projects where, where the, my artistic um, you know, uh, freedom is limited and I have to spend more time on the actual community building and be a community manager. But I, in a sense, that's what makes NFTs powerful. You know, you have to really focus on the community and that's what's, um, uh, that's what's the only thing that makes uh, a PFP product be successful. So I think uh, like... Profile picture. Yeah. PFP, yeah. Uh, yeah, profile pictures, PFP products, it's like CryptoPunks and products like that, uh, if, for if anyone is not aware, uh, which has become very popular nowadays. Uh, and it's all about the, um, the online flex, I guess, for these, um, these types of NFTs. Um, but I think many artists now are, you know, uh, transcending towards being these one-man army that handles all the community work and and the, the art creation itself. But I think in the long run, it might not be ideal uh, for uh, from an artistic point of view. Does that make sense? I think it's sort of like a reflection of humanity, just who we are. You know, in some cases, some individuals will go out and manage everything about their lives and their practice if they're an artist. And in other cases, artists want to just focus on the creative aspect and allow the management 
to be governed by a gallerist or a, an art advisor. So I think, you know, we're still the same human race, whether we're sitting here on this stage or in a metaverse, whatever that's going to be, you know, there's like... Yeah, who knows? Every, you can ask a hundred people the question of what they envisioned that to be and you get a hundred different answers. So we, we're, it's going to be what we create it to be. And I think, um, just back to what you were saying, Andreas, like there'll, there'll always be artists who just want to focus on creation in a, in a sort of stricter sense of things. And then there will be artists who are super interested in the community model where yeah. that makes sense for them and, and it's just the same with you know some people are happy to um to live in a communal environment and other people want to just be in their own space so i, yeah. I imagine that there's going to be a bit of everything because it really comes down to just who we are as individuals yeah and i feel a bit like the <clears throat> sometimes the art is lost as well in the nft yeah. space at the moment it's a lot about flex like we were saying it comes with the backside that it's also programmable and that you can get like access to a club or access a community token as well. Because yeah. then maybe that's what you're buying more than the actual art. And for, for you, for example, like coming from a pure artist perspective into this, I think right now a lot of the art, like the real artist stuff is lost. I mean, go to OpenSea and there are so many million NFTs right now. It's really hard to like, for people to actually go there and buy something because I like this art piece. Like I browsed all these things and this one spoke to me. So I'm going to buy it from that artist because I like it. Not because it's going to increase in value or because it's a social token or anything else. And to me, that's where like art creation uh, galleries and stuff like help people sort <laughs> through yeah. this massive pile of stuff. Everyone's trying to capitalize on this now. Yeah. And most people buy NFTs because they think that they're going to appreciate in value. And, I, and there's I really been a lack of curiosity. Yeah, I, I'm feeling like the art piece of it is getting lost a little bit right now. But I the, think when the dust settles, it's going to be very evident in a few years, like, okay, yeah. maybe it'll just be in a few months, but, like, this is the graveyard of a gazillion yeah. shitty very things large. that <laughs> happened all yeah, to be, be in large. this one place. And then people are going to see, you know, this is actually what is maybe more inclined to be art. And, of course, that's an individual perspective. What is art? What is design? What is a collectible? But at the moment, everything is lumped together. And I yeah. think they're... Um, having the accessibility to display anything and everything. Yes, there's a democratization aspect to that, which I understand is important, but there is also um, some value to framing things in different ways so people can at least sort and understand exactly. you know, where to find what they're looking for. Yeah. Like I've had collectors say to me, like, I have money, I went to OpenSea, I wanted to buy some work, and I just, like, I couldn't figure it out, first mm -hmm. of all, technologically, because mm -hmm. those platforms are created by, generally by, um, by uh, developers for developers, you know, I mean, yeah. it's a very tech process that a lot of people aren't used to, but also just being in this, you're not used to being in a space where it's such a mix of things, 
from in terms of value and yeah. medium and stuff and everything just comes at you that I think people do like to know sort of a story behind things and, yeah. and unless there's somebody to tell that story exactly. which, platforms to tell it on as well yeah, right then how, I think that's a yeah. responsibility that can exist in the digital space just as it has existed in the yeah, traditional art world without it being like a gatekeeper um, negative it doesn't have to be like exclusionary but I still think to have somebody tell the story mm -hmm. for those who are interested is a nice aspect to both digital and physical art. But sort of to cut through the fluff here, how about we like go around here and we talk about which NFTs do we own and why, if you guys feel comfortable of sharing, like which, or if you've created an NFT, you can share that, like yeah. something that you want to mention. Because um, I think that otherwise it might be difficult for people to sort of latch on to what it is that we're talking about. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah sure, here. let's do that. We'll, uh, we'll have this as the final final uh, point. So describe your NFT and then make one claim about the future, something that we'd like to share tonight. And then we'll move over to Q&A from our, uh, our online audience and, and the present one here. Cool. So I like to create PoApps, which is proof of attendance protocols for every time you meet a person, you can, for instance, take a picture and save that moment in time. And then that's stored in the blockchain. So you know that this happened. We were there. Uh, for instance, I attended a lunch lecture earlier today, and uh, you created a POAP. I think that's really exciting to look back and see where I've been. Uh, other than that, I've minted a Christmas card together with my girlfriend and uh, sent out to some of you. And I think it just... The reason I have that I really like the POAPs is because it is what I talked about earlier, the intention. Like, we created this gathering, we met at this specific moment in time, and now the world will know and will remember that. And I think eventually... LinkedIn and things like that are going to be looking at like, okay, this person was at that event very early on. Obviously, that person has been following the evolution of that um, thing. So I think, yeah, nice. it's exciting. Yeah. And the NFTs that I have are digital certificates of physical works. And so I like to collect and um, I think uh, it's super important to have the provenance of those works intact and to have that registered so that it both maintains the values of the work and um, has the possibility for artists that I've maybe worked with or bought from to um, add some extra information into that layer so that I have that with me and um, for me it just makes the work more interesting and valuable. Yeah. As an artist, I'm uh, I'm interested in you know NFTs that comes from artists I admire <laughs> solely for the art itself. I I wouldn't really have take the time needed to to look up uh, NFTs for investments because I think it's a it's a full time job you know to to sort out what's a good deal and what's not in the NFT industry. So for me, it's all about the art and NFT is um, you know really a way to support other digital artists as well and uh, upcoming artists and, and uh, things, like th things like that. And I like to you know, promote um, artists uh, on different platforms who really, really are talented, but it's sometimes it's hard to reach out since, yeah, it's really oversaturated, as you mentioned earlier, the, um, the NFT scene at the moment. So for me, is the art should always be in focus, I think. Yeah, so all of the NFTs that I own are pretty stupid, I would say. Um, so the, um, the the first NFT that I created was that so, there's, there's a platform where you can buy, um, you can buy 
tweets from people. So if you like a specific tweet that someone has written, you can, it's called sent, I think. You can bid on someone's tweet. And this was before the NFT trend had sort of kicked on. Someone offered $10 for one of my most popular tweets. Uh, and, and I thought, this guy's a sucker. So I, I, sold, <laughs> I, I, sold, I sold a tweet to him for $10. And then the NFT thing kicked uh, like the, it catched on, mm -hmm. and then I've been trying to contact that guy so that he can, <laughs> so that I can buy back the NFT from him because now I'm thinking that maybe there's maybe that's actually pretty valuable because the tweet was pretty good. So I, now I want it back. Um, can we hear the tweet? And uh, the other the other NFTs that I have, it's mostly actually like there's like old classmates, like their boyfriends, like maybe work in the NFT industry. So like indirectly, there's some person that knows that I have a big reputation in the cryptocurrency industry. So they will contact me like, hey man, like I, you used to go to school with my, with my girlfriend. Could you please, like we're launching this profile picture NFT collection. Could you please put this as your, like you'll get one for free as long as you put it as your profile picture. And then I'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, I mean, to be nice to your wife, I guess I can wear that profile picture NFT for uh, one day. So I've got a bunch of those that do just doing favors for people. Uh, the most expensive NFT I have is the Irene Dao. So Irene Zhao, the, the, the Chinese influencer, uh, someone donated me uh, like $5,000 so that I could buy uh, her NFT that gives me access to her Discord channel. So that's probably the most expensive NFT that I own. Um, and then I've created a bunch of, uh, well, I, I created a few ones of my own, like one NFT that I have. Uh, the idea is that I will, I haven't sold it yet, but I'm, I'm planning to, like I'm, I'm still thinking about, is, does this NFT constitute a security? Like, is it illegal for me to sell this NFT? So, because what the NFT does, like the NFT has a specific utility. So the NFT, the holder that has it, will have the right to each week call me for 30 minutes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the reason that I created this NFT is that I want to show, like, okay, so, so what's 30 minutes of my time worth now? Like, maybe someone's willing to pay $1,000 for that. Uh, but if I become more successful later on, like, what, what if I become immensely successful? And there's tons of people that want to call me for 30 minutes each week. Uh, then that NFT will Great go up idea. in value. <laughs> yeah, that will go up in value, and yeah. it means that you know you don't necessarily have to, you don't necessarily uh, need to want to call me for 30 minutes each week. The only thing that you have to think is that there might be someone in the future that will want to call this guy for 30 minutes each week. <laughs> so, yeah, so you can, so the, the NFT itself will probably be priced in the same way as stocks are. Like it, it's based on the, the potential future value and the probability of that future value becoming a reality. So I haven't sold it yet because I'm still thinking about the legal uh, uh, implications of that, but I have spoken to a lawyer who says that uh, this is a, a so-called a credit for time. And traditionally speaking, like from, as from a lawyer's perspective, credits, credits for time are not actually securities. And that's super interesting because it is a security in the sense that the value will go up depending on the popularity of that person. So I think that if that's not a security, it actually opens up the opportunity for people to speculate in anybody. And if you think that that person will become more popular and that they will go from having 30,000 followers to 3 million, then the NFT is probably also going to increased by 100 times in value. Yeah. So that's one NFT that I have. 
and that one just spawns so many ideas in my head. I'm going to riff on that one. But my NFTs are definitely on the cheap side. And it seems like we, I have Christmas cards as well. So I have uh, 10 bankless.se Christmas cards. Mm -hmm. That's it. And I think I'm going to go your route as well. But I'll, I'll probably start with one minute, so not to overcommit straight away. Mm -hmm. And then I own one uh, little uh, NFT that I bought just to try the technology out. And then I really like POAPs as well, as memories uh, of different lo uh, like situations that we've been in. And we're actually giving everyone here tonight uh, your own NFT as a POAP to uh, remember this night. So it's going to be information afterwards on how you could claim one, so everyone can have their very first NFT if you don't own one yet. And there's going to be a separate one for <laughs> us in the panel to remember this yeah. night. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to close the formal panel. Now we can open up to some Q&As. So we'll be doing uh, about 50% online, and then we'll be doing 50% uh, from, from you guys here. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Does someone want to get started? Yes. physical and in the digital uh, world at the same time. Uh, some collectors advise you from, uh, will tell me like, I would prefer if you just stick to this, if you want me to keep buying your art, or if you, and I've heard this from other friends who work in the NFT world, that their collectors prefer they to stay in the NFT world. And is there a way to coexist in both worlds at the same time, since this world is so new to so many collectors as well, besides artists, is my first question. And then as for my second question is, for the artists, before this whole NFT boom started, if you were a physical artist working with a physical medium, let's say photography or painting, you create your art and you focus your eight hours a day doing that, and you give that to your gallery and they focus on selling that. But as an NFT artist these days, it feels like you're pressured to do all of that at the same time. You should be mingling with your collectors on Twitter. You should be creating a community on Twitter. And you should be creating a community with other artists and be invested in that several hours a day on top of creating your art, which creates, like, for a lot of introverts, as of myself, like, it takes a lot of your energy to keep doing your work, uh, your creative work in the same uh, sphere that you were doing it before. So I would love to hear your ideas about this, because I feel like this is something that is not discussed as much as I would want it to be in the current NFT space today. Should I start? Go for it, yeah. So I think that, um, first of all, as an artist, I think you need to decide what is good for your practice and how you want to navigate this new space. Your collectors can't decide that for you. Uh, I appreciate that some collectors, I think it's, it's in part due to just not really understanding the space yet. There's so much information and a lot of people do not understand and feel threatened maybe by, by either digital representations popping up of a physical work or vice versa. And I think in part that's just a lack of understanding. But I think 
you can motivate your decision to create a potentially like a, a, a limited edition of an original work that you've already sold to a collector by saying that it's actually its own unique work and that it doesn't have a conflict with the original work that they bought because it has its own unique identity. You could also contact collectors who you've sold a work to and say, I'm planning to create uh, a small edition of digital representations of the work that you already purchased and offer them first dibs on purchasing one of those new digital works. Uh, or if you're selling new work, you can say that I have this one print originally framed work and I'm offering the possibility to bundle it with a digital representation, or would you prefer the digital? So you, I think there's different ways to communicate it, but I don't think that, I personally don't think that a digital representation, which is a unique NFT, threatens the existence of a, a physical original. In fact, I think in time we'll see that the preciousness and uniqueness and rarity of that unique original work will actually probably increase in value uh, by nature of the fact that it becomes more, even more scarce. Um, but it has to be your choice since it's your work and uh, you can't um, create your work with everybody else's needs in mind. You have to decide what's good for your practice, I would say. Hmm. All right. Next question. Uh, thank you very much for a fantastic presentation. And uh, um, I'm thinking of... Um, Andy Warhol, of course. I mean, this uh, Andy Warhol once started doing his paintings and, and, and doing physical stuff. And then he got into doing business art, speaking to people, clubbing, and, and, and stuff like that. And some art critics don't like the second Andy Warhol, but the first one, vice versa. But I'm wondering about a, a specific kind of artist. I, I wonder if, if there are artists too, and if we're going to discover them. And these are the programmers. I mean, the guys who've done the, the Easter eggs in the programs over all the years. And are they coming back as artists? Or can, can these people from the digital world be reevaluated and uh, sort of reestablished as artists now? Do you think that? Like which kinds yeah. of programmers? Like, did, did you mean? Um, the, you mean coders? I, don't know. I have no idea. It's <laughs> 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 a question. <laughs> I just thought about those making the programs. There are actually some very nice, uh, like AI-generated art trending on on um, the NFT market right now, which are merely code, pretty much. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's uh, something that would be something of a trend, like this year, as you more and more of AI-generated content and you know purely machine-created generated arts. Uh, so I guess that's one aspect of the coding, but um, yeah, I don't know much about. I, I have <laughs> a friend who created a protocol to uh, actually a marketplace for NFTs where coders can hack and find security breaches, and every time they do that, they can get the badge for they them solving that particular security breach. I guess that would be one example. Yeah, I think you're onto something because we were yeah. talking before Andreas as well that uh, this is so like the right thing to do right now. That many artists try to force themselves into this format and it doesn't fit. 
So maybe when we now have a digital format, people that weren't really like expressing themselves as artists before, now there is a native way for them to express their art. And if that is being a coder and writing a piece of code that generates the art, or if that's like you that's been doing this, and now, now all of a sudden like a perfect fit for your existing art just like dropped down from the sky. Um, I think uh, in general we see with poems as well like this lowered it lowers the entry of the barrier of entry for, for creators it, it in general. It broadens the definition yeah. of art, which in general I think is a really good thing. Uh, then there's obviously like some kind of line between maybe collectibles and art, and then there's design, and there's some gray areas in between. But I think the broadening of the definition of art is really positive. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, it's so cliche to say it, but it really is in the eye of the beholder. So everybody doesn't have the same concept of what art is, but I think what I hope will happen when the dust settles is that we'll see that works that are conceived, well thought through and, and conceived in a way that, crafted in a way that is artistic and not just thrown out there uh, with the only motivation to make a quick buck. I hope that it will be sort of obvious um, what is what and we'll do a better job at curating the platforms to be able to access and, and view and appreciate these works and we'll know where to go for what we're looking for. So we won't be looking for paraphernalia at the same time as we're looking for something that is um, maybe finer art. Yeah, uh, hand on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, on that note, we'll end the panel discussion, but I would like to say that the event has just begun. Uh, so without further ado, let's do a round of applause for our panelists. And then... Uh, And then uh, I'd like to bring up some, some people who stand behind the, the event tonight. Hi guys. Uh, we are especially, first of all, glad to be here on the first expedition day of OCA, made by the artist Elisaveta Porodina. I just want to state that first of all here for Fotografiska. Uh, my name is Victor. I'm the president of the Digital Asset Society. And our vision at SSC uh, is to increase the literacy connected to digital assets among students in Sweden. Because we really want to create an ecosystem where students can learn from each other, exchange ideas with each other, and overall just learn about this space. So we are having a regular newsletter, a podcast, and different kinds of exciting events, such as tonight. Uh, so, I just wanted to emphasize that if you are interested in crypto, blockchain, NFTs, or the dig digital asset space in general, uh, we are here trying to create as much value as possible for you. So whether you are a company working within the space or just a curious student, uh, feel free to, to reach out to us. And I also wanted to take this uh, opportunity to thank all of you for participating in this event, including this amazing panel here. Uh, all the people attending physically, and as well as all those who are live, stream, live streaming on YouTube. And finally, I want to thank Yuvalbin uh, and the ArtX Tech, uh, which collaborated with us um, in the Digital Asset Society. And above all, I want to thank Fotografiska Museet here in Stockholm. Without you, this wouldn't be possible. And now, let's enter the metaverse. All right, everyone. So 
We have now opened the exhibition in the metaverse. Uh, for all our, our online viewers, you can find the exhibition in our link tree. And for everyone here at Fotografska tonight, we will soon show it here on the big screen. So uh, thanks for, for joining tonight. Um, really glad to see so many faces here. Let's have a great night. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode and were able to take part of Artex Tech. But if not, don't worry. Digital Assets Society has a lot of events coming up, so stay tuned. You'll find all our information and social medias in the description below. Again, a huge shout out goes out to all our panelists for coming, as well as Fotografiska for letting us use their local. And last but not least, Bankless Pugtesia for sponsoring us.